Production. Recorded live. Hey, welcome to the American Liberties, the Wednesday night call. Today is November 16th, and uh, and what a great day we're having. Just just so that everybody knows, I will be away this weekend. I have another gun show in Fort Lauderdale, and if you know any, anybody that lives in that area, tell them to come by the gun show, and if they have a... Uh, if they have a uh, AR-15 or a uh, AK-47, uh, if they mention this call or uh, they mention that they heard this from from you or anybody else, uh, they'll get a 20% discount right there at the show. Okay, so welcome to the call. And hold on, I gotta uh, unblock somebody. And uh, I'll be back. I'll be back in a couple minutes, Chris. Okay. And um, so, um, with that being said, okay. Um, anyhow, uh, I was just telling uh, uh, somebody before the call that, um, you know, as you know, I'm in appeals court in the 11th Circuit. And and I was talking, you know, I, I had to get an ex- ask for an extension of time because, you know, they want me to uh, make this uh, the brief up and the appendix and all that, and they only gave me like like you know 15 to 20 days to do it, and uh, so I had to ask for a 60 day extension because that's a lot of lot of work on on us. And quite frankly, I'm not sure exactly what to do because they give this format. Um, things got to be color coded and and uh, jacketed, and, and it has to have an appendix and, and all this. And this is just stuff that I'm not, you know, used to dealing with. So uh, I had to ask for six, 60 uh, days. So I had to call the attorney. And during the call, I was asking the attorney, you know, some questions. And she said, well, Mr. Chapman, I represent, you know, uh, I I can't represent you. I can't give you legal advice because I don't represent you. I represent the uh, your your adversary. And I said, well, I understand that. I just thought you might want to tell them. And and she said, well, I haven't looked at your file yet. And I said, well, it'll be interesting. And in addition, I'm going to be sending you some stuff that you know because I know the IRS is always. Uh, fails to show, um, excuse me a minute, I just got to unblock somebody. Um, uh, you know, they they always uh, are not willing to show what uh, they get, only what they send. So to be fair and balanced, I want to send you the stuff. And what I'm going to be sending her is the criminal complaint, my joinder, and, um, and the... Um, um what was added to the 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 supplemental briefing in addition some other in, information but interesting enough i got a letter from the irs the other day that you know they they're readjusting my figures you know because of interest and penalties and now it's well over 600 grand and so I re, I did my normal response or not not my normal I did a I'm testing out different things so I did a response to them as well as I copied the uh, the secretary and 
Uh, hold on a minute, please. Let me just. Uh, and so, <clears throat> and then a couple of days later, as, as I'm sleeping, because that's when I think the best is when I'm sleeping, and it came to me. Why did I send it to back to the IRS? I should have sent this all to the lawyer because the IRS is represent. I mean, the the lawyer is representing the IRS. The IRS should not be coming, you know, be sending me documents when they have an attorney. So what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be sending all my responses now to the attorney. And it's going to be interesting while we are in litigation here, whether it's appeals court or anything else. So she she told me she represents the lawyer. So, I mean, the IRS. So she's going to get everything in uh, uh, relative to my response. And so that'll be going out Monday or Tuesday and we'll see what happens. So remind me to update you on that. Uh, at least give it two or three weeks, and we'll see what happens. Um, the um, so with that being said, and we only got a limited time. Unfortunately, I got I thought these calls that I'm on at eight o'clock would be over by now, but things are are getting so big in the uh, in the sports deal that I'm in that I can't afford not to, uh, I can't afford to miss the call. Let's put it that way. So anyhow, uh, with that being said, I'd like to introduce my longtime friend and mentor and, uh, which is of course, David Maryland. Dave, are you on now? Yeah, Chris, can you hear me? Yep. I can hear you. Well, take it away, please. How about that? Welcome everybody. November 16th, 2016, on the uh, archive at 59615 here at TalkShoe, 59615, that's my archive. If you want to listen to the most recently posted shows, the one I did last Saturday was um, uh, just a couple days ago, The um, uh, How Donald Trump Can Impress Me. And the one before that was Pete Hendrickson Filers Indicted. Uh, both uh, pretty good calls in my estimation. And uh, it it doesn't matter what somebody might think of uh, code pleading. My approach, um, uh, staying out of their jurisdiction, whatever. You listen to the Pete Hendrickson call Pete Hendrickson Filers Indicted and it'll tell you the reason I teach what I teach. I'm interested in keeping people from going to prison. Uh, the IRS will reach out and or the Department of Justice doesn't matter. The government will reach out and put somebody in prison for simply failing to file tax returns, failing to pay what they say is a tax and can't prove is a tax and once you're in court the law doesn't matter. And so you have to impress them before any court proceeding or any grand jury proceeding. You have to convince them that you have an understanding of the law, that you've relied on the law uh, for your failure 
to perform as they expect. You have to. It's it's the government's own description of innocence. And when you have the government file a memorandum that says, in these instances, uh, people are innocent, and they tell you right there when, in the memorandum that I quote in that call, uh, here's what an innocent person looks like. So um, that's what I try to provide by emphasizing two primary arguments. There's a lot to learn. You can learn a lot about the tax code if you get the flash drive that uh, I sell on wevgov.com. The um, flash drive with the code breaker video segments, three hours, 45 minutes of instruction and seven segments. And uh, you'll see that uh, there's a million arguments to wage. I focus on the two largest because the government can't refute them, uh, number one. And number two, they place you under the law in a situation where you wouldn't have to file if it's true. You wouldn't have to pay if it's true. And if they can't refute that it's true and it means you don't have to file or pay, I'm sure you're somebody they don't want in court. They don't want somebody on the witness stand that's going to say, you know, what are we doing here? Uh, you say right in Publication 17 that my co my services are my cost, and I look at the law, Section 83, all property is a cost, and so I don't have any gross income, and the uh, the... Uh, citizen of the United States that you say I am is only named in a regulation and not in statute at all. The 16th Amendment says Congress can collect this tax. It has to be a statute. And they don't have a statute that identifies citizens of the United States as a subject of the Chapter 1, Section 1 tax. And so they wrote a regulation under Section 1 to say, oh, citizens of the United States owe this tax. Well, the Secretary of the Treasury is not in the business of naming who has to pay a tax. That's Congress's job. Now, um, the uh, the reference to Pete Hendrickson filers being indicted uh, on the uh, call that I posted a couple weeks ago, it a show about how Pete Henderson filers have been indicted. It's not a, not about any recent advent or occurrence. Uh, it's about the fact that uh, he has called caused people to be indicted by filing the tax returns. He recommends people file, and um, uh, it's just it's vitally important you understand uh, why. Uh, what Pete Hendrickson does can land somebody in prison because I'm in the business of keeping people from being indicted. Now, there's a particular... I went to the federal income tax... Uh, federal income taxation page of wevgov.com and I scroll down to... Uh, red number two is the entirety of section one of the tax code. 
and I uh, keep scrolling, and I, here's the here's the regulation it says in red, and here's the regulation that's supposed to explain or otherwise bring into law the statute above. And you see that the statute never mentioned citizenship, and the regulation uh, nails it. it. Says who is a citizen? Citizens of the United States. They owe this tax wherever they live. And below that, there's 40 decisions that say. Uh, you owe this tax, Section 1 and Section uh, 26 CFR 1.1-1 says you owe it. Well, why doesn't the statute say I owe it? It's very plain when you read these. Um, I'm looking at the Court of Appeals First Circuit, second case listed. The tax regulations of the United States generally provide that citizens of the United States are liable to pay the income tax even if they are not residents of the United States and who own no assets, no income within the United States. What's the regulation got? Uh, how does it have any relevance if statute doesn't say so? They say the tax regulations of the United States generally provide. I want to hear that the statutes provide. A citizen is defined by the regulations as a person born or naturalized in the United States, and they're relying on the regulation. It has to be a statute. This regulation adds to the statute. Let's see. And if you scroll through these cases and read these quotes, this, uh, at the time, probably 2012, I went through the entire LexisNexis database for all the cases referencing 1.1-1, that regulation. And this is that list right here. And as you go through here, you'll find cases that say this is the statute and here's the regulation that makes you liable. Uh, how do you do that? How do you do that with the regulation? It has to be a statute. Um, Court of Appeals, Third Circuit, District Court, uh, U.S. versus Lasonic. Uh, we note that parenthetically, 26 U.S.C. Section 1A imposes an income tax on the income of every United States citizen and that pursuant to 1A, 26 CFR 1.1B provides that all citizens of the United States are liable for the income tax. Well, I want to hear a statute say it. They can't prove that the regulation isn't the one doing all the heavy lifting. It's the regulation every time. Let's see. Uh, Court of Appeals, Fifth Circuit. That's what CA stands for, Court of Appeals. I'm on the federal income taxation page of wevgov.com. And it's about halfway down the page, CA5, Court of Appeals, Fifth Circuit, Thomason versus Commissioner. Uh, the quote just before the underlining, in general, all citizens of the United States are liable to the income tax imposed by the code, whether the income is received from sources within or without the United States. Uh, see Rainer versus Commissioner, Fifth uh, Circuit 2003, unpublished, quoting Treasury regulations. <laughs> the next case, Rainer. Uh, in general, all citizens of the United States are liable for the income tax imposed by the code, whether the income is received from sources within or without the United States. 
see Treasury Regulation 1.1. Where's the statute that says so? And so this list is, for my purposes, extremely revealing. And it should be obvious to anybody uh, listening to this exercise that everywhere that statute goes, goes the regulation. And when they say a citizen of the United States owes a tax, they always cite the regulation and they do they don't cite the statute. It's amazing. Uh Court of Appeals Eighth Circuit, US versus Langare, a Langrare. Uh the district court had uh jurisdiction because the Langrares conceded they were domiciled in Nebraska and the federal income tax applies to residents as well as citizens. See Treasury Regulation 1.1. That's the regulation I'm attacking, saying it violates uh, the uh, separation of powers. It's the executive branch naming a subject of the tax. The 16th Amendment says only Congress can do that. The next case, Court of Appeals, 8th Circuit, Daggett versus U.S. This is district court, actually, um, Nebraska. Section 1 of the Internal Revenue Code imposes an income tax on, of every individual who is a citizen or resident of the United States. See the regulation. You can't do that. It has to be a statute. So if you, as you go down this list, you'll see, obviously, they cite as proof you owe the tax over and over again, Regulation 1.1-1. And that's why I make this challenge, because the statute doesn't contain any reference to anybody's citizenship. And the regulation does. And they can't talk about it. They needed a protective order in 2005 in the case of Walden versus the United States in Austin, Texas, and that's why they needed a protective order. Now, I went back up to the top of the page and scrolled down to red number two. Tax Code Chapter 1 identifies Americans as subject only in regulation. And indented there, we have the case of uh, U.S. versus Calamaro. And then uh, added to that, uh, Water Quality Association versus the United States, Seventh Circuit, 1986, where they quote Calamaro. Back up to the uh, Calamaro indented excerpt. Finally, the government points to the fact that the Treasury regulations relating to the statute purport to include the pickup man among those subject to the 3290 tax and argues, A, that this constitutes an administrative interpretation to which we should give weight in construing the statute, particularly because Section B of 3290 was carried out, uh, carried over in Hack Verbe into 4411 the Internal Revenue Code of 54. We find neither argument persuasive. In light of the above discussion, we cannot but regard this Treasury regulation as no more than an attempted addition to the statute of something which is not there. As such, the regulation can furnish no sustenance to the statute. Imagine that. That's the challenge I'm making. And another great case on this is uh, 2000, 2001. Um, 
FDA versus Brown and Williamson Tobacco Company. If somebody wants to look that up on scholar.google.com and paste that into the chat, uh, Brown and Williamson Tobacco Company uh, alleged in U.S. District Court that the FDA's enforcement authority over tobacco arose strict, strictly from regulation and not at all from statute. And, of course, when the courts see a uh, federal um, a federal agency under attack, they're going to bring out every single scrap of case law about how you have to challenge an agency, whether or not you met the burden, uh, what kind of challenges are valid, and what the court's job is uh, in reserving the uh, or preserving the authority of the agency and the good faith with which they have to interpret the regulations when they uh, find a regulation challenged. And the uh, Brown and Williamson Tobacco Company kicked the government's butt all the way through the Supreme Court because. The FDA had no authority at all over tobacco. In fact, the court said under the Food and Drug Act, if you did have authority to regulate tobacco, considering all the bad things you said about tobacco in the past, the, F the Food and Drug Act would require that you ban the sale of tobacco tomorrow as a deadly product. So, no, we don't think you have jurisdiction over tobacco. Congress has reserved that authority to itself thus far and your authority over tobacco came strictly through your regulations that you wrote and you are therefore barred. Your regulations are declared null and void and it is a fantastic read. Read the Fourth Circuit decision and the Supreme Court decision. Those two decisions together, those two memorandums uh, from the Fourth Circuit and from the Supreme Court, uh, those are the book on how to challenge a regulation, the gravity of regulation, how regulations cannot deviate from statute, statutory interpretation. It's the book on that entire topic right there. You won't find a better example. In all of my reading, I have not seen a better example and I've read over 4,000 decisions, federal appellate and Supreme Court. So uh, uh, that's why I stick with that challenge, because they needed a protective order in 2005, and the court issued a protective order against the brief. And by the way, you can find that. I'm on wevgov.com, and at the top of the menu column on the left, there's a link that says YouTube 2. You click on YouTube to go to my YouTube channel through that link and uh, view the seminar, the tutorial called Key to the Code. And that's a, uh, a tutorial about this first argument on my wevgov.com federal income taxation page. So all you have to do is activate that, sit back and listen, and watch what's on the screen, and you'll learn all about the argument. And the punchline is right there in the last 20 seconds of that video. There's an actual picture right there in front of you of the protective order issued by uh, the judge in Texas, the docket number and everything. The document is right there. I hereby bar the uh, plaintiff from asking questions about this argument or whatever it said. 
So, yeah, I'm going to stick with that argument. So they come up with uh, a ruling as to how the regulation does not deviate from statute, something that I can pursue all the way to the Supreme Court with ease, I might add. And then there's the Section 83 argument, and that's on the bottom third of the federal income taxation page at wevgov.com. Uh, you scroll down, and uh, red number three says all property is an amount paid. And blue number one, there's the case law that says Section 83 applies to all compensation for services. So none of us have the choice. We have to comply with it. The government has to comply with it. If it screws me, I'm screwed. But if it protects me, I want those protections. And Pete Hendrickson says, oh, it's gibberish, irrelevant. Well, the circuit courts disagree. The IRS disagrees. And secondly, and more importantly, when you look at the language of the statute, it obviously doesn't say that the whole paycheck is gross income. It says only the excess over the amount paid is gross income. That's the definition of income right there in the tax code. And he missed it and refuses to look at it. He comments on the existence of the argument without acknowledging that I write the only book on Section 83 in existence. I'm the only one teaching it in the known universes. And he refuses to get into it. Well, how competent can he possibly be when I'm certain he's fully aware of this case law? Uh, it's gibberish. It's irrelevant. Next question, please. That's, that's so profoundly irresponsible, I can't tell you. So, uh, anyway, those two arguments are represented, all property is a cost, right here on this page. Now, what I have not added to this page, I probably won't add it, but you have IRS Publication 17 from 1993 through 2015, a paragraph in Publication 17 that tells you what your cost is, tells you that your cost is cash, debt obligation that you pay for the compensation or services. What are they doing telling everybody in the country that your services are your cost? So that's a great exhibit. Um, Let's see here. Uh, I'm going to open up the uh, the server where WeVGov is hosted. I'm going to tell you of certain documents that are already there that you can download. And by the way, uh, nothing you're going to hear me say ever is intended as legal advice. It should not be taken as legal advice. Anything that sounds like that to you, just consider it something somebody else might do on a planet far, far away where the law matters. It doesn't matter here. I prove it on a daily basis. Believe it. If the government wants you, it will handle you with the law. And if it can't handle you with the law, it'll handle you without the law. And every judge is as corrupt as the day is long. It's easy to prove. If all you wanted was a ruling, hey, Your Honor, uh, Section 1 of the tax code doesn't mention anybody's citizenship. And the regulation does. I think the regulation deviates from statute, and that's impermissible. Regulations can't do that. You can't have a decision on it. That's corruption. It's the judiciary's job and duty to say what the law is, Marbury versus Madison, 
U.S. versus Lopez, 1995, citing Marbury versus Madison, and they refuse when you hit them with the right question. <laughs> Checkmate. That's corruption. It's a violation of your rights to due process. That's a crime under 18 U.S.C. 241. If two or more persons, and that would be the judge and the government's attorney, if two or more persons threat, uh conspire to threaten, injure, or oppress anybody in the exercise of a right, 10 years in prison. When they refuse to give you that decision, they've just become felons, and everybody in the country can arrest them. Go to wevgov.com to the uh, citizen's arrest page, and you'll see all the case law from the LexisNexis database that I found in 2012 uh, that cite citizen's arrest as a common law right governed by state statute in the respective states. Let's see here. Ah, here's here's the one I wanted. This is the freebie for today, folks. You're gonna love this. I'm typing. Get ready to write if you're just on the phone. Very simple address, but get ready to write. I told you publication seventeen from 1993 through 2015. It has a paragraph in it telling you what your cost is. 1993, your cost is cash, debt obligations, or services you provide in the transaction. I started using that as an exhibit, and so they amended it. And they then said, your cost is cash or other property, which sounds just like the regulation under Section 1012. That's tax code section 1012. There's the address of the file. Here it comes, everybody. WeVGov.com. This is all lowercase. WeVGov.com slash publication 17.pdf. WeVGov.com slash publication 17.pdf. And there you'll have the cover of publication 17 for each of those years and an interior page of publication 17 for each of those years, 1993 through 2015. Your services are your cost. And they say in court, no, they're not. Well, I want to stop being lied to. And let's look at Chris's particular instance. They're going back more than 10 years saying you owe taxes for these years. Prove you don't. Well, excuse me, but you told me in publication 17, my services are my cost. When my services are my cost, just like section 83 says, I don't keep records. I think it's 6011 says that anybody owing a tax has to keep records. Well, if they're, if my services are my cost, I don't have any gross income to report. If I don't have gross income, I don't have a return filing requirement. Why would I keep records? Well, that doesn't matter. Courts have long rejected such arguments. It's tax, it's frivolous, Your Honor. That's the best you can get out of them. How did you interpret 1.83-3G, the regulation that says the amount paid is the value of any money or property paid? Labor is property. Well, we don't count labor because you didn't buy it before you sold it. 
Where's your authority to exclude labor when the regulation says the value of any money or property? It doesn't say any money or property within which you have a basis, any money or property that you had to buy before you sold it. It doesn't say that. It says the value of any money or property paid. I paid my labor. They exclude it as a matter of arbitrary policy. You can't do that when you come to the term any property. When the law says any, it means everything, unless the law thereafter provides for an exclusion. And the law does not provide for an exclusion of labor or any other property that you don't have a cost in. Checkmate. So I stick with those two arguments. I'm only named in a regulation if I'm a citizen of the United States like you say I am. And all property is a cost. How does Section 83 operate in your conclusion I own income tax? Checkmate. When you have this particular understanding of the law, and Chris was the first one to benefit from this, he went before a grand jury, gave him a copy of my uh, congressional complaint of New Year's of 06. He was before them in January of 07. Gave them a copy of that, never heard from him again. And Chris was identically situated to other people I had seen go to prison. And the difference between them and the people that did not go to prison was the fact one of them joined my complaint as a similarly situated witness to crime. So you go to wevgov.com, make a very small investment, get the flash drive with the codebreaker videos on it, and get Codebreaker, the Section 83 equation the manual about tax code section 83. Study them. It's code pleading at its finest. No one else has developed these arguments because they didn't do enough research and the research they did was not done competently enough for them to study the places in the tax code upon which I key. The volume of research I did led me to other parts of the tax code than anybody else's teaching or arguing. The, the more I studied, the more I gravitated toward the chapters that imposed the taxes. And I came to understand exactly how they operate if all you have is the law. Then I found the regulations that allow the IRS to do to those chapters what it does to those chapters. And voila, I found a list of regulations that uh, screw with the tax code. I found regulations that create entire uh, tenets of the IRS's authority that don't exist in statute. And when you see what I can do to the tax code standing at that whiteboard in those videos, it's going to amaze you that somebody could actually acquire this much knowledge of the tax code and organize their thoughts to a matter of, uh, uh, to a, a degree that explains the very fundamental nature of the tax code and how it differs from the IRS's standard operating procedure. <clears throat> and I've only got a couple minutes left here. Now, what you see in the videos is one one-hundredth of what I learned about the tax code. It's not that you go into the tax code and all you find are tricks that they played. No, I found everything. I found things that made it look like they were behaving with, uh, under the law and things that made it look like they weren't behaving. And I separated the weren't behaving from the are behaving and I only look at the weren't behaving set of 
uh, elements. But somebody else on a radio show I, I did, you know, maybe a year ago, now they said, yeah, uh, this other guy, he's, he teaches that uh, you use the Freedom of Information Act in a way and it messes with the IRS and you end up being able to sue for damages. I said, well, if you look at tax code section 7852E, you'll find out that you aren't allowed to use those provisions of the Freedom of Information Act against the uh, IRS. Um, uh, face one. You can block face one, Chris. Any verified evidence of any wins or settlements. When somebody's not indicted, you don't get you don't get evidence. Where's the evidence when somebody is not indicted? There's no evidence. No docket number is established. So face one is a Pete Hendrickson fan or something. They got bricks in their head. Now. Um, I I told this caller to this radio show, 7852E says you can't use the Freedom of Information Act uh, to sue the IRS for damages. Oh, oops. And I knew that in 1993. And so I don't teach that you can sue the IRS under the FOIA Act because there's a statute that says you can't. That's an example of how much I learned and all I teach is what you see on that video. But I learned a bundle. And I found the biggest ways in which they are outside the law to drag you into the tax code. That's what I concentrate on. You can learn all of my arguments or you can learn just two. From my uh my perspective, I think the most important things to learn are the ones that show you have a good faith understanding of the law that they can't refute. And that's when, uh, let's see here. Um, I'm looking at my criminal intent letter. And I'm scrolling down to Ninth Circuit Model Jury Instruction for, uh, 9.42. In order to prove that the defendant acted willfully, the government must prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant knew federal tax law imposed a duty on him and the defendant intentionally and voluntarily violated that duty. A defendant who acts on a good faith misunderstanding as to the uh, requirements of the law does not act willfully. Thus, in order to prove that the defendant acted willfully, the government must prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant did not have a good faith belief that he was complying with the law. There, a jury instruction. Now, um, that's the government's own description of innocence. And if you know what makes you innocent, that's where I would want to make sure I'm situated before any criminal proceedings are mentioned. And Chris and I have seen grand jury proceedings shut down without an indictment. IRS criminal investigations shut down because the, the CID agents were served with a copy of my complaint and the affidavit of joinder somebody filed to join the complaint as similarly situated. Uh, that gentleman, by the way, is not on the call today. Uh, but he's been on plenty of calls. His name is L.T. Oates. 
and uh, that's his username on um, on TalkShoe, and you'll hear him on previous shows saying, I got this uh, package, I served it on the Criminal Investigations Division agents, and they shut down the criminal investigation. And when something like that happens, you don't get documentation, but you get a confirmed kill. Uh, let's see. Yeah, that, that's real productive there. Uh, Chris, that's one of the names we always block. Roddy K. Roddy K is a monkey, a Pete Henderson monkey. So uh, the arguments that I key upon are a fraction of my entire 1994 treatise on the tax code and my, uh, my treatise is only a sliver of the entirety of the things I learned about the tax code and then narrowed it down to the things that I found were wrong, the things they're doing wrong, the things that violate statute and or the Constitution. So the, uh, the list of what I could teach is enormous. But the list that I've chosen to focus on is the list of things that will prevent an indictment. So uh, with that all having been said, Chris has other calls to get to. Uh, somebody has a, a question, we might take two, but then we got to uh, let Chris go. Let me thank you in advance of those questions for joining us on a Wednesday night on American Liberties Call and uh, uh, share with you my, my belief that it's really a shame when you can put this much truth in, in front of somebody and they throw stones at you. And if I were in person with such an individual and they said they were an American, I would fight them for the title. I'm an American. You are not. You can't face the truth. Uh, my right, There's a bunch of free stuff right on the website. If you want to know more, if you want to hear it more fully explained, get the courses on the uh, products page. I know a lot more than what I teach. A lot more than what I teach. Okay. Couple questions. If not, uh, we're out of here. Okay, I like to. I, li I just like to say it is unfortunate that Facecom one 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 and and like Rodney uh, Roddy K, you know, instead of bringing back a conversation to rebut or refute what David said, they do like what's going on in America today. You know, they can't play by the rules, so what they do is they create chaos and misery for other people. If, you know, you, Roddy K., which you're gone now, but if, if you by happen to listen to this again and face 111, if, if, if you don't agree with Dave, then don't agree with him. You don't have to create chaos and animosity. It's just, it's just you know, it's not respectful. It's not right. And and if you have that kind of an IQ and and you know and you want to lower yourself to that degree, go join the the um, 
you can't even call them Democrats. You know, those liberals or something like that. It's just, it just want to create misery for other people because you got to be so miserable you can't stand yourself, and you just want to spread that to others. Okay, Northeast and Central uh, Pennsylvania. Go, go ahead there, sir. Yes, this is John here. Hi, John. Um, I was thinking it might be better rather than to put one. Uh, claim uh, with five uh, arguments to have five separate claims to Congress. Say Am I still here? Yeah, say that again. Well, uh, the original uh, complaint to Congress had five or six arguments, and I was thinking it might be better to put five or six separate arguments to Congress rather than, well, you know, because uh, the, the congressmen, you know, they're busy and, and they look at a big uh, a file, they're, they're just going to say, yeah, you know, they passed well, the uh, Obamacare 36 inches high and nobody read it. Yeah, I understand. Now, um, it wasn't filed with the understanding that Congress was going to give me any remedy anyway. I know that Congress is utterly feckless. What I wanted was a stack of laundry I can throw around that shows I even complained to 80 members of Congress with my briefing and got no response. Nobody can refute it. And it goes on the record in any court case, and the government is silent as to those several issues briefed. So it provides several things. It's a platform that anybody can join as a similarly situated witness. It's a briefing nobody has to write again, and it's a criminal complaint that nobody has to write again. They can simply join my complaint, and with that, they acquire license, basically, to use it as their own complaint and throw it around at the IRS to prove that you shouldn't be indicted because you have a good faith understanding of the law on issues that I have docket number after docket number, they can't refute. So they will not get into these provisions, and so you don't win in court. You're never going to get a thief to say, oh, we've been stealing all these years. It's really juvenile to believe that you might. Every judge is as corrupt as the day is long, but you will have a docket number where you can tell the grand jury or a criminal trial jury I sued the, I joined a criminal complaint. You might even be one of my plaintiffs in the lawsuits like South Dakota and South Carolina that can say, I even sued you for the answers and you'd rather have me in prison than disclosing the, the operation of the law. These are the provisions you won't discuss. 1.83-3G, 1.1012-1A. This is kryptonite to them. They can't afford to get in an argument about them. That's why... These arguments are the ones I use, and it wasn't filed in Congress with the belief that Congress was going to do anything. But it's as inflammatory as you can get, accusing the Secretary of the Treasury, the IRS Commissioner, a couple judges, the U.S. Attorney General, of racketeering and extortion in a, in a well-crafted, uh, meticulously and uh, technically sound criminal complaint. And that's the benefit of the criminal complaint that was filed with Congress. It's not that Congress is going to do anything. And by the way, Paul Ryan and some other 
Republicans in the uh, House of Representatives, they say they've got a simplification of the tax code already written. They're putting the finishing touches on it. And when the new president takes office, they're going to simplify the tax code. And that will signal probably the end of being able to rely on the law. They're going to simplify it to justify what the IRS is taking and not simplify it to explain the way it actually reads today. So Congress doesn't know what's in the tax code. It's always been a mystery. So you'll get no remedy from Congress because there's a ton of patriot movement case law against the tax code uh, developed by people that didn't have it together before they challenged the tax code in uh, those many respects. Face 1111 has a uh, question, Chris. Okay. Let's see what he says. It's civil. Okay, it's go, civil. go ahead. Hey, how you doing? Uh, I think it was uh, Chappie that said that Roddy K and me are causing chaos and stuff. And uh, I don't think just asking a simple question is chaos. But um, if if you believe it is, then I, I guess we won't uh, ask questions to someone making such uh, outrageous claims. So, no, sir, uh, no, sir. It, it's the fact that one, I asked you not to say anything, but yeah. You had the nudge, and I let that go. You wanted to say something, and you did, so I let that go. But then when you cuss on the chat board, when I don't allow that, that is disrespectful. And whether you yeah, like you it or not, the, it hang is. On, hang on. You drop so, the F-bomb, and you don't even know what I teach. You haven't even studied what I teach. There have been others that said, oh, this guy's crazy. The system doesn't work like this. Nobody, nobody uh, can do that. Nobody has I, this understanding. Um, hang on. And then, and then he has, he has, but, uh, yeah, shut your mouth. Shut no. your mouth. Shut you know, your mouth. Not, I don't think that's what Cut him off, Chris. Uh, Cut him off, Chris. Uh, and then that person asked to be my promoter because he verified each and everything he heard me say on my conference calls. Somebody that knew all the arguments out there, and he'd listened to them, studied everybody's work, and he thought I was out of my mind. And three months later, he was asking to be my promoter because Everything I say, you can find in the law. There's somebody that actually did that much work, and that's me. We're not taking another uh, question from you. You've blown it. Okay. That F-bomb. New York, go ahead. That F-bomb is over the top. Okay, New York. Northeast New York. Oh, I'm back. Oh, you're on. You're on. Okay, go ahead. So um, I was actually first going to ask if you could unmute 13 because I wanted to be involved, but I've, um, well, I'd still like that, but I'd also want to um, <clears throat> make a comment because uh, I was um, looking at lots of, I was studying lots of um, things online and I went before a judge with different ideas and not holding on to just one idea because the judge, you know, he's going to do whatever he wants anyway. So, you know, you got a checkoff list. You try the first thing, you check it off. If he doesn't, you know, uh, solidify it, confirm it or anything, so then you go to the next thing. And uh, meantime, uh, a, a person gave me uh, someone to coach, and she had a ticket. And, and I know this is probably, but it's similar because it's going before a judge. And so I coached her all the stuff I had been learning. And so when she went, she 
got all that coaching. Meanwhile, I'm doing this paperwork, what I've learned in the middle of, and and, and she te- she texted me and she told me it turned out exactly as she sa- as I said. So so she got dismissed because of the coaching. So I only want to say that because um uh the everybody that probably is on this call knows it's or most people maybe knows that it's a bunch of language that is used to benefit the courtiers and um so it's basically us that have to like come to ourselves, wake up or whatever. And um Okay. All right, ma'am. I, I hate to cut you off, I really do, because I love to have uh have every, everybody have their time, but I gotta end the call. And uh, perhaps well, hang on, Chris. Go ahead. Um, Please, no, I hope everybody was listening. I hope everybody was listening very closely to her. She is precisely correct. I would never tell somebody to abandon an argument in which they have faith they, that they believe in. But when you lose that argument, always be ready with the next one. I've been teaching this forever. My arguments begin when everybody else's arguments have failed and you're forced to argue statute. That's where I start. I've done the hard part. I found that the law protects us in all these ways, and it's right on wevgov.com to prove illegal revenue streams right and left. And so I use just statute to prove my point, and that is the last argument when you're finally forced into the court, finally forced to argue just the law that they're trying to apply to you, that's where I start. So I can prove plenty of other arguments are mistaken, but there are arguments that aren't mistaken that simply don't swing a big stick, whereas the ones I focus on uh, really do. And there are still ways to get victories in traffic court. But I was reflecting mostly from my perspective, and that's U.S. District Court, for the purposes of income tax uh, arguments. Uh, very good point. And, uh, Thank you for joining the call. I hope you do again. That was a a very salient point that she mentioned about going on to the next argument. Going on, you can't know too many arguments. Okay, Chris. Thanks again, everybody. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, and uh, we'll start the call probably six thirty in the future, and uh, that'll give us a little bit more time because. Uh, I was hoping this this eight o'clock calls would be over by now, but it's it's really um, gotten beyond stoppable. <laughs> so anyhow, thank you everybody for coming on the call. God bless America, and this call is officially over. <laughs>